0: You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot Well, to prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table today, we're going to turn our attention to Uh, One of the shortest psalms in the Bible, but also one of the most profound. Uh, Please open your Bibles or your bulletins um, to Psalm 131. As Julia said, one of the Psalms of Ascent, sung by the people as they uh, would walk together up to Jerusalem. Um, If you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? We do this as a biblical sign of respect. Uh, We we stand because we believe God is speaking through these words. And um, I'm just the reader. It's God who's speaking. So we stand in respect of him. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's presence and assistance as we consider his word. Father, uh, please this morning give us by your spirit open minds to hear and to um, apply your word. And we pray by the power of your spirit that you would quiet and calm our souls uh, in order that we might, in the midst of all the craziness of our day, enjoy and glorify you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Charles Spurgeon, the great British Baptist preacher, uh, said of Psalm 131, it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And uh, I think he's right. Uh, To learn to calm and quiet your soul, to learn to put an end to Uh, the restlessness of your heart to learn uh, a deep and experience a deep inner peace and contentment uh, that is independent of our circumstances which are not conducive to that kind of inner peace this isn't easy right it takes time uh, and it's learned King David we're told uh, is the writer of this psalm and he's laying out for our consideration really two different ways to live as a human being. And in the biggest picture, fundamentally, there really are just only two ways. Uh, Everything else is kind of a variation on these these two. Uh, And the, the two ways to live are the way of the world and the way of the Lord. So our outline this morning is going to look like this. First, we're going to look at the way of the world. Uh, that's verse 1 of, of Psalm 131. And then we're going to look at the way of the Lord, and that's verse 2. And then we're going to consider how, as followers of Jesus, and at that point I'll be speaking just to those of you who are Christians. I know we have people here who aren't, but you know, to those of you who follow Jesus, how do we cultivate the way of the Lord into our lives? Uh, And that's verse 3. So it lays out pretty nicely three points, three verses, uh, the way of the world, the way of the Lord, and how we cultivate the way of the Lord in our lives. So first, the way of the Lord, uh, verse 1. There are three parts to it, as you can see. There's the heart, and then there's the eyes, and then the feet. Now if you're looking at Verse 1, you're thinking, well, yeah, I can see the heart and I can see the eyes, but I don't see the feet. Um, actually, they're there. Uh, they're just lost in translation. When, when um, our translation says, I do not occupy myself uh, with things too great, um, that's actually translating a Hebrew idiom, which literally comes over into English as, I do not walk in things too great. Uh, uh, great or wonderful uh, for me. So there, there are the feet. So we're going to look at the hand, the heart, the hand, uh, the heart, the eyes, and the feet, uh, as they make up this way of the world. So when he says, "My heart is not lifted up," um, David is saying that he's learned something. Right? He's learned that. Uh, the central focus of his life, right, can't be himself. Uh, He's learned that life is fundamentally not about him. The world doesn't revolve uh, around him. Uh, He can't just live a a me-centered existence. Uh, And of course, that's where our hearts naturally go, right? Uh, It's easy and fun and takes no effort uh, for me to focus on my desires, my goals, my dreams, my feelings, my achievements, you know my agenda, my will uh, it 's where our hearts go we are uh, our, our hearts naturally kind of curve in on themselves and are about themselves um, and and David says he 's learned to 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 that, that to not allow his heart to do that. I, I recently was sitting in a restaurant, um, and I happened to be sitting near a young couple that looked like they were on the first date. And you know, so, it, you know, it was hard not, you know, it, it was kind of awkward. So it was, you know, you sort of sort of watching. It's like a slow motion train wreck. <laughs> and, and and I couldn't help overhearing the the, the conversation. Um, and I, and I felt sorry for the young woman because it was a brutally one-sided conversation. Um, it was, the guy was just nonstop talking about himself, right? And, uh, you know, I wanted to go over and shake him. She's, you know, she's looking at him and nodding, nodding. Uh, Linda was more charitable. She said, oh, he's probably nervous. And and, and now I said, no, his heart is lifted up. (laughs) He's proud. He's about himself. It's just, it's all about him. Um, And um, just a word to young people, right? Um, You know, a, a life that is about you, and if all you're talking about is you, and if, if, if the only thing that interests you is you, uh, you end up pretty quickly being boring and being small, right? A life that's about you is, is, is a small life, and, uh, and, 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 it's, and, and you bore people when you're talking about it. Um, but that's the way of the world, right? That's that's man, That is what the world encourages. This is right. This is social media. Right? Uh, okay, that's the, my, that's my heart not lifted up. My my heart is not lifted up. And then now eyes. Second, when he says my eyes are not raised too high, um, that's a in, in the Hebrew phrase that's used in other places to suggests that what, what he's not doing is not looking down on other people. See, so if the heart is about, you know, sort of who you are in, 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 at your core, uh, then the eyes are about how you relate to people around you. And, and people with proud hearts, people with lifted up hearts, people who, um, who make life about themselves, uh, tend to tend to uh, look down on other people in, in part because looking down on other people uh, it creates at least creates the image that you 're bigger more important um, it 's not necessarily that you hate other people that 's that 's not it it 's that it 's that you don 't see Others and here's you know here's the radical nature of the gospel right I mean we, you can read through the New Testament and just kind of read past statements like you know considers consider others' interests more important than your own what <laughs> right uh, that's not the way of the world uh, it, right it's when you're looking down on other people, it's not, as I said, it's not like you're hating them or despising them. It's that you're saying your interests aren't as important as mine. That, that you aren't deserving, as much deserving of, as, of my time and my attention and my service as I am, right? Um, and instead, what happens is that almost unconsciously, people become... You know, they they, they you, you pay attention to them when they can help you, and when they can't help you any longer, you you can move on. Perhaps you've experienced that in in the marketplace. Uh, you know, I know, uh, um, I, I know. I've I've told you stories before when I was, uh, um, uh, you know, a young partner uh, in in my law firm, and I would be, and I would talk to to lawyers that were aspiring to be partners right so they're you know so so they're talking to me and it's it's, that's to their advantage but but i was a young partner right and and so they're constantly looking over my shoulder and when the you know when a more senior partner is is, goes by man they're gone right they're not talking to me anymore um it's you know I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to you if you can help me and if if not, I'll, I'll move on. Um, we can, you know, we probably don't intentionally use people and we would probably not categorize ourselves as users of other people but it's very easy to to sort of fall into that. So, we've got, you know, a proud heart um, that makes life sort of about you. You've, we've got um, you know, eyes that look down on other people that tend to use other people to magnify yourself, um, and then finally, third, David says, "I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me." And what he's communicating there is that he's he's learned that to give up trying to take over God's work. You learn that yet? I'm, I, I have to admit, I have not. I, I still fall into that. Um, Linda sometimes has to remind me, but you know, you're not the Holy Spirit. Um, it's it's so easy for us to presumptuously put ourselves in the place of God, right? Um, as we try to control our lives. Right, control the lives of other people, control our circumstances, control our future as we make grandiose plans, Uh, as as we think that we've got all the answers, or if we don't have all the answers, we know we can get all the answers. When the reality is, we don't even know what questions to ask. I've seen it. I. I've seen it um, in the world, uh, g- going back to my my uh, lawyering days, I had the privilege in, in the kind of work I did to represent a lot of uh, young entrepreneurs. And I, I in particular, remem- they all are kind of cut out of the same cloth, but uh, I, I, I remember one who, who had it all figured out how she was going to be Uh, make her first million before she was 30 years old, right? She had it all planned out. Uh, And she came to me to effectuate that plan. Um, But I've also seen it in Christian circles, right? Uh, Not just in my own heart, but I, I was recently reading an article written by a missionary who was reflecting back on his early days as a missionary, his early years. He'd been a missionary for decades. And he was kind of repenting. Uh, for his youthful occupation as a a young missionary, his youthful occupation with things too great and and too marvelous for him. He he said, I used to, you know, I I had these visions that I was going to, you know, I was going to save countries. And I would say, he said, I would tell God, give me Estonia. Right? Give me Papua New Guinea. And now decades later he's looking back and he and he was realizing in, in this article confessing that those missionary desires back then though obviously you know driven by by good intentions were really more for his glory uh, than for uh, than for god's, and more about his sense of self worth rather than proclaiming the worth of Jesus right he really he, he needed to do something big right in order to feel good about himself um, so that 's k- kind of how David summarizes this way of the world that uh, and what's so dangerous about it, of course, is that this is common wisdom, right? All of this is recognized essentially as a virtue in, in our culture, when it, when it really is an ongoing habitual sin, which leads you know, good people in our country and in, in the West, leads good people uh, away from god uh by the millions right buying into this um, uh, me centered pride fueled uh, way of the world it 's so um, accepted so powerful it 's kind of like a river current right if you if, if if you don't do anything, if you just sort of live day to day and and you and you're aren't you aren't questioning the world's values, you're not pushing back against the world's values, you're gonna be you're gonna be swept along with them, and, and you know, and when you're caught in a current, unless you're looking at a fixed point, you, you don't even know re- realize how fast you're moving, right? Um, but that's that's uh, that's what it's doing to to countless millions of people. It's dangerous. It's costly. It's sin, and and so and I so I say this, and I you know I suppose this is a particular urgency to to you young people who are sort of at the brink of of your lives and making big decisions in your lives and thinking about the careers and what you're going to do. Um, listen, if if you if you live. And not, not out of God, but out of pride, right? If you, if, you, if you take your life in your own hands, if you define your own meaning, if you take care of yourself first, if, you, uh, if, if, if your focus is getting to the top, making sure you're noticed, uh, doing whatever it takes to be perceived as a success, as the world defines success, listen, in the end, you will face nothing but god's judgment it's 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 a it is a slow you know and by the world standards sort of you know perfectly virtuous glitzy way to hell And in the meantime, I mean, it's, it's not just that it's setting you up for future judgment. In the meantime, it's not delivering on what we all want, which is contentment, right? Rest for our souls. Uh, you know, an inner peace. None of this will do that. You know, Augustine wrote, wrote, wrote about that, right? A young, young man with, brilliant young man with, with a restless heart. And... Uh, and he has that, that uh, famous quote from his Confessions where, he's, where he says, you know, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Speaking of Jesus. Um, uh, you know, li- living the way of the world is, is, a, is a recipe for restlessness. Um, it's, it's competitive and, and, and it is uh, circumstance-driven and one day you'll be up and the next day you'll be down. Um, it doesn't fulfill you. Last week I quoted Miroslav Volf, a um, Croatian Christian who is, teaches at the Yale Divinity School. And I'm going to quote him again because I ran across, I've been reading some of his works and I ran across this quote, which is, as I thought, said it well. He said, the self will lose itself if it simply lives in and for itself. It will seek only its own benefits, and the more it seeks its own benefits, the less satisfied it will become. That is the paradox of self-love. The more you fill the self, the more it echoes with the emptiness of unfulfillment. I think that's true. And you know Tom Brady is exhibit A of that truth. Tom Brady, quarterback now of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is by the world's standards a guy who's got it all, right? Got it all together. And I've quoted this interview before. He, did a, he was interviewed by 60 Minutes in 2005 now. It's been a while. Um, 16 years ago. Uh, and he was a star then. Uh, he had, I think in 2005, had three Super Bowl rings. And, um, uh, and he was asked in that interview on 60 Minutes what, what he had learned from all his success and from his Super Bowl rings. And here's, here's what he said. Um, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think... God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? (laughs) Well, some more rings. 16 years later, he's still in the NFL, greatest, probably the greatest, statistically the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Um, And I don't know Tom Brady, and I don't know where his heart is, but I do know... That if if rings weren't satisfying, him then they're not satisfying him now. Right? That that life leaves you restless, it leaves you unfulfilled, which is a good segue to, to the life that doesn't do that, and that's the, the a life that follows the way of the Lord in verse two, right? So the way of the world isn't going to give you a calm and quiet soul. It's not going to give you inner peace and contentment. Um, it's not going to give you a rest from your restlessness. Uh, then what will uh, the way of the Lord? And, and and what's the way of the Lord look like? It looks like, uh, like a weaned child with his mother. Uh, that's the answer. That's the way of the Lord. You and I have to be like weaned children with God. This is a rich metaphor. We're going to unpack that here in a second. But notice, first of all, that David repeats weaned child twice, right? Which in Hebrew, as many of you know now, that's in a language that doesn't have punctuation marks. How did you emphasize things? We well, emphasize things by repeating them so so David is underlining wean Child. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to get it and and I'm sure he's emphasizing it because it's it's it was countercultural for him, and it's certainly counterculture for us now right The way of the world you know it's it's all about you know. Making yourself big, way of the way of the Lord, making yourself like a little child, like a weaned child. Um, this is one of the s- several passages in Scripture where God the Father is likened to a mother. Um, but the focus here in verse two isn't so much on the mother as on the weaned child, right? This that's the that's where we're to focus. The wean child. That's what we need to be. Um, now, first of all, think about a, a child that hasn't been weaned yet. Right? What's what's that child's relationship to her mother? It, you know, she, however she thinks in her baby mind, uh, she she certainly sees her mother as probably. Principally, the supplier of something she wants and needs, right? And if she doesn't get it on demand, uh, she's she, she's going to let her mom know, right? Cry, sob, scream, fuss, which is exactly why weaning is so difficult, right? Because the uh, right the child is convinced she needs her mother for food, and now mother isn't coming through right she uh, so she, when she's used to, to to getting that milk, and now she's not getting it, and the baby, of course, gets upset, throws pitches a fit, right? Well, um, I can remember those tantrums um, in those days. Um, but when you finally get through the weaning process, right, what has the child now learned? Well, she's learned that even without. What she thought she needed, she's still okay, right? right? If the baby could, could formulate her thoughts, she'd say, I thought I really needed this, and I'm, not, and I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it now, but I'm still okay, right? I'm still fed. I'm still cared for. I'm still loved. I'm still protected, A weaned child on her mother's lap has learned to be content in the love of her mother or just in the presence of her mother rather than, in the, than content in what her mother could give her, right? It's just about mom. And that's what David is saying is, is the way of the Lord, and, and this is the way to a calm and quiet soul. We, this, we've got to get there spiritually, right? We, you and I need to grasp that like a child weaned from her mother's breast, that even without what we thought we needed, we're still loved and cared for, right? Even without what we think we need. Spurgeon said it even more pointedly, Listen, listen to how Spurgeon put it. To the weaned child, his mother is his comfort, even though she has denied him comfort. All right? It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and can find our peace in him who denies them to us. Right? Isn't that interesting? We know we're growing, we're maturing beyond spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once we believed were essential and, and instead can find our peace in the one, the Lord, who denies those joys to us. It's a heavy statement but that there there's the there's this, the 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 recipe for a rest for rest from restlessness. Notice now this isn't a calm and quiet based on your circumstances, right? This isn't David isn't saying, you know, work on your circumstance, get, you know, get your life calm and quiet then your soul will be calm and quiet. Well, right. Right? Uh, good luck with that. Um uh the you know, are our lives are, are are frequently not calm and quiet. Certainly haven't been the last 20 months. Uh, if our contentment as Christians was contingent on our circumstances, we'd never have contentment or rarely have contentment. But that's one thing. But the other thing I really want you to notice, and, and I, especially young people, because you might have heard what what Spurgeon said there, as a statement of resignation. That, that the key to being, having a calm and quiet spirit is to sort of resign yourself to a secondary kind of existence, right? That the problem is, you know, you, maybe your expectations were too high, so just lower your expectations. You know, settle. You know, th- listen, this is not calm and quiet, getting a calm and quiet spirit by Settling. Right when when Spurgeon says that the Lord uh, uh, takes away joys that once appeared to be essential, um, we can find peace in the One who denied them to us. The the Lord isn't isn't saying I'm going to take things from you. Because I can, and and your life isn't going to be as good, and and therefore just live with it, right? Or you know, no. He's he's taking secondary things away so you can have the primary thing, which is him, right? You, you, you know, right. A child. It, it's not resignation. It's not settling when you wean your child, right? You're, you're weaning your child from. And she's lost this, what she thought was an essential joy, her mother's milk. But, the, but what she gains from that is what? A future of filet mignon. Right? And wine. Right? And chocolate cake. It, it's, right? It's, it, it, this, this is God, the way of the Lord is, is, is. Is um, finding that solace, that peace uh, in the Lord, not in 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 our circumstances or, or the things that we thought were are, that appeared to be our essential joys. Um, we've got to have a hope, right? Our, we have to have a hope, a sure confidence in God and his love and his care for you. If you have that, then you can have a calm and quiet spirit. Then you can have an inner peace no matter what's swirling, all the craziness swirling around you. Which brings us right to the final point, right? How, how do we cultivate this way of the Lord in our lives? Um, and we've already, I've just said it, right? We've, verse three, David makes it very clear. Hope in the Lord. Right? Put your hope in the Lord. And, and biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's, right, place your surest confidence. You know, lean your whole life confidently on, uh, on the Lord. Um, that's what he's saying. Um, make sure it doesn't come from yourself, not from what you think you need from God, not what you want from God. Um, make sure it's simply your, your hope is in God. Period. In other words, right, be like a weaned child in God's arms. I'm I still think the book needs to be written. I've I have been fascinated by the the radical countercultural teaching of Jesus uh, about children, right? Jesus was not the first, right? To I mean David here says we have to be like a wean child. Uh and, and 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 Jesus picks that theme up, right? In in his teaching. He was constantly saying, you know, you've, you to inherit the kingdom, you have to become like a little child. And I mean if there, that's so counter to the way of the world, right? Which is all about becoming you know, the big and an adult and a success and and Jesus says no no, no no you you got to become like a little child well, what's that mean? Well, you know Jesus didn't mean you got to become innocent like a like a little child because the little children aren't innocent. I don't believe he meant fundamentally that you got to become a child because Children are helpless, though they are uh, to some degree. Uh, We're we're not helpless. We're we're creatures made in the image of God. Um, I I believe Jesus taught that, that that we have to become like little children to the extent that children implicitly trust their parents. right? they don't have to be taught to, to to trust their parents they just do even when there's a lot of mystery even when they they have questions at, or and and don't have answers to all their questions or even when they can't frame the questions children just just simply trust don't they if you've had the privilege of being a parent or or, or the privilege of being a grandparent and watching your grandchildren implicitly trust your children who implicitly had trusted you. It, it, it really has come home to me in a, in a personal way. That it's, you know, Jesus is saying something uh, once very simple and very f- profound. You know? Uh, kids don't angst a lot. A little child doesn't angst a lot about how he's being cared for. In, a, in the... Uh, obviously, there are abusive situations and whatnot. But in, in the in the in a healthy home, um, I remember as a young boy, very young boy, um, being both mystified and sort of sad about the, my this the, my dad disappearing for hours every day. You know, uh, to go to some planet called work. I mean, it was all, the, the, this, you know, the, 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 the level of ignorance is amazing, right? I didn't know what work was. I didn't know anything. I just knew that he was gone all the time, and, and I missed him, and I you know, wanted him around. And, um, and I remember, I do remember this conversation. I must have been a little bit older then because Dad actually sat me down and tried to explain what a corporate securities lawyer does. And he was telling me about stocks and bonds and debentures and, you know, stock markets. And, you know, my little eyes are glazing over. I have no clue. Right? Uh, Zero clue. All a complete mystery to me. Uh, But in the midst of all of that, I never once doubted his love for me or his care for me. I knew. I knew I was loved. I knew I was protected. I knew I was fed. I knew I was guarded. I knew, I you know, it didn't matter that I um, didn't know everything. Um, I was, I, we need to be that way with God. That's, uh, so how do we get there? That's really, that's the, um, that's this third point and so as we come to the table let me just close by giving you three three truths about this uh, sort of how, how we cultivate the way of the Lord in our lives three ways we become people with calm and quiet souls with inner peace uh, first recognize that generally this is not something the Lord zaps you with I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say the Lord can't uh, but, but this is not something that generally, or bi- the, at least I see in the biblical record, that you pray for and then God, boom, gives you this supernatural contentment. Um, it's it's something that you learn, right? It's a learned blessing. Um, the apostle Paul, I think, probably said it best. Philippians four, eleven. You know, I have learned. I have learned, in whatever situation I am in, to be content. No. so it's a learned thing. Um, this, this isn't in my notes, but, I, but it, I should say it in connection with that, is that because this is a song of ascent, it's it's particularly a corporate psalm. This is not it, it, it's not principally a, a psalm that you would take in by yourself into the prayer closet. And Right, there are psalms like that. This this is a song that was specifically written to be sung together as people were together going on a pilgrimage. You know, and so it seems to me that's an important reminder that the, the learning that the that the Lord is going to put us through happens in a corporate context. This you're not you're not alone. You know, we, we learn this together, right? And this, this, and, you know, this is why, why we need each other. You, you can tell me when my heart is lifted up or when my eyes are raised too high because there will be times when I'm blind to that and, and, and you can let me know. But don't all do it at once, please. Uh, okay, that gets us to the second truth. So if, if it's learned, how, how does the Lord teach us? Um, and, and the answer is: This is a tough answer, but a, but what he does, and it shows the richness of the metaphor, he weans us. <laughs> we learn through a weaning process, uh, and that weaning process is uh, is very much like a child being weaned from his mother's breast, although it's just it's just it's magnified, right? The Lord's going to put us through difficulties. And deprivations, and unwanted circumstances, and problems, and challenges, uh, so that those hard realities we will become will cause us not to lean on and trust in secondary things, things that won't hold you up, uh, and instead uh, cause us to lean on. on on Jesus and Jesus alone, Um, right? This is, this is hard. I mean, I don't like to be weaned any more than any of you, but it, I, you know, it's been borne out by my experience and it's been borne out as far as I can tell by your experience to the extent you've talked to me, right? We, if you've gone through a very difficult, challenging trial, isn't it true? I know it's true in my life and, and you've, many of you have told me that you would never ask for that trial again, right? You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. But having gone through it, you see that you have learned layers. You've, you've, just, you've plumbed into layers of the sufficiency of Jesus' love and the sufficiency of Jesus' care and the sufficiency of Jesus' faithfulness for you, right? Right? You just learn so much about Him. This is why I love, I'm humbled and love visiting you in the hospital. Because when I would visit in the hospital, I'm I'm allegedly going to minister to you, but you're the one that's going through the hard time. And, And invariably, those of you who are going through that kind of a health trial minister to me because through it you're becoming evidently closer to the Lord. And, and knowing him in a deeper way that, that, that ministers uh, to me. Um, you know, we've all, you've probably heard that expression. Uh, you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Um, that's, you know, that's overstated, but, but it makes the point and and that's what the neat, what the weaning process is our hearts are so prone to grab on to these peripheral things success fame popularity good looks right big social media audience whatever it is our our hearts can get wrapped around these things and Jesus will put us through these trials so that we realize that those aren't what life is about that we need Jesus and we we discover that and some of you I know are learning that through through pain um, even now children uh, making poor choices deaths of loved ones uh, rejection of, sp- of a spouse, cancer, Alzheimer's. I'm just going down the list of people in our congregation, career setbacks, financial losses, failure at school. Right? You name it. I mean, it's through this kind of unwanted pain that you find yourself plumbing the depths of Jesus' love and power in ways that you have never experienced. And, uh, and Jesus shines Brighter. So that's, you know, how do we live the way of the Lord? How do we calm and quiet our souls? We, we get weaned. We get weaned from things that we would otherwise try to calm and quiet our souls with. Um, but I'll close with this question. How how can we be confident that um, in God's love when, when, when his mercy is so severe... Right I'm talking about a severe mercy right the, the God sovereignly providentially uh taking us through hard times to wean us off the world and onto him. How can we be confident that behind that is really love right that that, that it's really being driven by love it's really being driven by uh a commitment to what will Make me and you truly flourish as human beings um, the answer to that question How can you be confident that there 's a love behind it is is right here at the table right it's it 's what this bread and the wine uh, silently preach to us um, you know behind the providence of God whether it 's good right now or whether it 's it's tough right now, is, is a all-powerful God who out of a, a love that is unimaginable gave His Son. Gave His Son for you to save you from your sin. And that Son, right? Jesus Christ, the God in the flesh, His heart, His heart was not lifted up Right, His, he, 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 Jesus was not proud Jesus was not about himself Jesus wasn't uh, you know ab- about saving himself he was about saving you and the eyes of Jesus were not raised too high Jesus looks down on you but he doesn't look down on you in contempt he doesn't look down on you to use you he looks down on you in compassion. Right? And not just a, comp- a, a feeling of compassion. A, comash- a compassion that actively rescues you. Right? In all your mess. In all your moral compromise. In all your failures. In all your half-heartedness. All of it, Jesus looks on you with grace and compassion. Right? His, his eyes aren't lifted too high. And then... Of course, Jesus didn't occupy himself with great and wonderful things he could have. Right? He was equal with God. And yet he did not regard his equality with God something to be held on to for his own advantage. But he let it go. And became, what? A servant. Right? You talk about counter the way of the world. He became a servant uh, to you and me, a servant uh, who submitted to death on a cross so that you and I can live uh, abundant, productive, uh, eternal lives. You see, that's a God you and I can trust in. Uh, that's a love we can trust in as, as God is, uh, is using uh, his power is governing circumstances to wean us off the world and onto Him. Amen? Let's pray. So we go to the table. Father, we're going to go to Jesus' table now as You have commanded us to do. I pray that Your Spirit would be present and minister to us. Feed us, Lord, uh, physically, but more importantly, feed us spiritually. Uh, build up our faith, strengthen us, to live the way of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.